0: Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, we're going to continue a series this week called The Way of the Kingdom. And if you haven't been here previously, The Way of the Kingdom basically talks along the lines of we live in, in a time in a, in a place Where the kingdom of God has come and is coming. The tension of the now and the not yet. The tension of heaven in the future versus heaven that could be here now through the Holy Spirit. What God is showing, what Jesus shows us in the Bible is that it is possible to live in the way of the kingdom of heaven now. You know, I don't know if you've heard this kind of mentality or this rhetoric that says that uh, one day God will come and I'll just go, I'll return, I'll go to heaven and I'll, get, I'll escape, basically. I'll, I'll return to be with God, and I'll leave this world behind. You know, this, this rhetoric is kind of, this, this, this escapism kind of creeping into the kingdom of God that says that I don't have to change or do anything now because one day it, will just, it won't matter anyway. I won't be here, I'll be with God. But what Jesus tells us is actually that there's a way, a pathway, a course of conduct, or a manner of thinking, feeling, decided, and acting, that we can live right now, that is indicative of the kingdom of God. I want to be someone. I want to be someone that when they look at me, they see Christ. I want to be someone. I made this joke or uh, well, a statement a couple of weeks ago that you know, when I die, I want to be pointed to heaven. You know, it's like just put me in the casket, rig of mortars, just put my hand up to heaven. It's Jesus, you know, um, and that. I think we all in our life we want to shine the light of God. Mm -hmm. We all want to be someone that when people when we think, hey, I showed this person Christ. Mm -hmm. Shane Willard says this, he's a preacher. He says that I pray that no one rejects Christ because of how I presented him. I pray that no one rejects Christ because of the way that I presented him. And this comes down to your course of conduct, your way of thinking. Your side and your acting. Mm -hmm. But what we talked about was we talked about, because we have to look at Jesus. And that's why we sang that song, May I Never Boast Anything About Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to look at Jesus to get our way, our pathway, our way of doing things. So if we look at Jesus for a way of doing things, what we have to understand in the biblical time was that there was a kingdom of God, there was an opposing kingdom. So for the new kingdom of God, the way of living, acting, conducting in the kingdom, there had to be an old way. And I described this over the past few weeks. There was something called Pax Romana. And Pax Romana translates to Roman peace. Roman peace basically were the 200 years of peace and stability into which Jesus was born. So when Jesus was born, he wasn't born into Hilton right here, right now. He was born into... roman empire that was the ruling kingdom earthly kingdom of the time and so what we we do then is we show the roman empire in contrast to the kingdom of god and but this went back through time through the bible the the egyptian empire the babylonian empire so we have this picture of an opposing kingdom into which the the people of god live the thing about Pat romana and people know that Roman peace, Rome was actually quite affluent, powerful, the way that they built a lot of roads for the road system that we, we understand, aqueducts, I believe, all these sorts of things. But the way that the Roman Empire ruled was through overpowering, overthrowing people and distracting from real issues through something called bread circus and Empire and bread service and empire uh, which I have called pseudo peace is actually three of the things that Jesus is tempted in at the start of his ministry when he goes into the desert Satan says to Jesus turn these stones into bread and Jesus says man will not live by bread alone then the next thing is to throw yourself off this temple for everyone to see and the angel will catch you and Jesus says do not test the Lord your God And then the third thing he says that everything that you see before you, if you bow down to me, it will be yours. Bread, circus, and empire. The Roman Empire was, during their time, uh, the 200 years, distracted people by giving free food, free entertainment, and by overpowering and overthrowing different countries and cities. So bread, circus, and empire. There's a clear distinction that the Roman Empire was like, okay... We will distract you and we will overpower you. But by giving you these things, you will have your peace, Mm -hmm. which I've called pseudo peace. Then Satan comes and tempts Jesus with pseudo peace. Mm -hmm. But then Jesus says, no, this is not the way it is. And he goes into something we call the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. He he says to his disciples, come with me, follow me, and I will teach you the way of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And that's where we land today. The way of the kingdom, we can find it, is one of the first teachings that Jesus made in the Bible, uh, uh, in his ministry. So he says the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes, if you've never heard the Beatitudes, they are an announcement of who will actually be most blessed by the arrival of the kingdom of God. The nature and the aspirations of the citizens of his kingdoms or the attitudes to be. So, one thing I want to say is that with a, with a sermon I'll preach today, but you need to wrestle with this later. A good sermon is not a sermon that you just fully agree with or fully disagree with, but it's a, a sermon that you walk away with and say, actually, I need to wrestle with that. I need to think about, God, what do you mean? It's this whole this, uh, Hebrew uh, idea of chewing the cud. You know, I, I, I think I may have said it last week. Megs and I were having dinner. And I, start, I was eating food and I got indigestion. And Megs looked at me and says, you need to chew your food more. And I was like, I do. Maybe some of the things that we're learning or seeing in, in teaching in the Bible and whatnot, we're not chewing on it enough. So when we're trying to digest it spiritually, we're actually having resistance to it. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that God is well, highlighting in your heart that's a resistance, I might not, what I preach, you might disagree with, but you have to ask the question, Instead of saying, I just disagree with it. You say, God, what are you bringing up Mm. within me? As opposed to, here's wrong, doctrine, theology, wrong. Go away and say, God, I want to chew on this. I want to wrestle with this. So I'm going to present to you the Beatitudes. and I'm going to ask you to wrestle with this. Because I'm going to present to you a few ways of understanding the Beatitudes. You ready? You good? Fantastic. So... The Beatitudes, like I was saying, were in an announcement, not a command. God is not saying, be more merciful, even though that is a good thing. He says, blessed are the merciful. What he's saying here is that this is an announcement of when the kingdom of God arrives on earth, these are the, this is what will be valued. These are the, these are the distinctives of my kingdom. And so what we do, though, just a bit of a preface, is when we look at these things, when we look at the, the, the Beatitudes, we might say, well, I'm not that merciful, I'm not that poor in spirit. When we understand them and when we walk, keep in step with the spirit, when we keep in step and walk in the spirit, God transforms us from the inside out. Yeah. So it's the sanctification process. It's not about behavior modification, but it's actually, like I was saying, the nature and the aspirations of the citizens of the kingdom of God. So we're going to go into blessed are the merciful. And blessed, the Greek word for blessed is makarios, which describes a joy which has a secret within itself. It is serene, untouchable, self-contained, a joy that is completely independent of all the chances and changes of life. When the Eagles lose, I am not joyful. <laughs> <laughs> when the doctors win, I am not joyful. When my financial situation is tough, I am not joyful. When I'm feeling fearful, and overwhelmed by a situation at work or in a relationship, I, I'm not joyful. But I'm talking, the joy that I'm talking about there is external, whereas the joy that God talks about, which is the fruit of the Spirit, is internal. It's not defined by the things or circumstances or chance of change. It's defined by did Jesus die on the cross and rise again? Yes. Is God still sitting on the throne? Yes, therefore there's a joy, a peace that surpasses understanding. Can I ask that question? I know it's a bit of an ambiguous question, but in your life, is God still on the throne? Is God still God? Because so often when when we don't feel that way, we wrestle control back of the things in our life. Whereas this joy comes when we we recognise that God has never fallen off the throne. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In comparison to some of the other beatitudes, this beatitude's meaning is actually a lot more straightforward. Like I've said in the past, that the beatitudes weren't actually preached in Greek; they were preached in Aramaic. Now, Aramaic and Hebrew have similar roots within their the original meaning and original words. But when you actually extrapolate. I think I showed you last week When you extrapolate it Some of it sounds weird New agey But what we often do in the, the church With our English understandings We take it through a filtering process And bring it to a place where it's clean It's squeaky And we can understand it Whereas God is wanting us to actually look at these things And wrestle with them Because when he was saying Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy The context in which he said it was that he was surrounded by his 12 disciples and then there was a, a group of Galileans who were around there and the Galileans were known as lower class citizens. A group of Galileans were sitting around watching as well and then within them were the, the religious elite and the political elite were watching as well. So they were watching. So Jesus is he's talking to, it's like I'm talking to you guys right now, but there's a whole bunch of people outside looking in the window being like, what are they talking about? What is this way of the kingdom that they're talking about? And when Jesus said this, he said this not just to speak to his disciples, but to also to speak to anyone who heard. So when he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, he's talking about, if you show mercy to others, you will reap what you sow. But, and we have to understand that the Beatitudes were a window into the inner life of Jesus Christ himself. So would you say that Jesus was merciful? Would you say that inherently, that he was merciful, that he was known as a merciful person? I would 100% say that. He is our merciful king. And he is saying that the mercy is essential to the kingdom of God. And mercy, when you break it down, is actually known as forgiveness and compassion. Mercy is not this, not this, how would you say, it's not this understanding where we just we're just nice to people. Mercy is forgiveness and compassion. So being nice, you can be nice out of a fearful place. Yeah. You can be nice because you don't want someone to to arc up at you, but to be forgiving and compassionate actually requires something from of your heart. It requires something from your your inner life. And Jesus spoke frequently of The trait of mercy in the Lord's Prayer, we sung this side. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. In Matthew nine thirteen, Jesus instructs the Pharisees, "Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." The sacrifice that Jesus is talking about here is actually the ritual sacrifices that a lot of the religious elite would make to cover their sins according to the law. Whereas Jesus talking about forgiveness and compassion. So like I was saying, I'm sitting here, or Jesus is sitting there, his disciples are listening in, and Jesus says to everyone, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And all the Jewish lawmakers are like, Hold up, I was just making a sacrifice on Monday. Yeah, you know, like, why would you say I don't need to make a sacrifice? Why would you say that I don't need to go make that animal sacrifice for the shedding of blood to cover my sins? Why would you say that? And this is because, like I was saying, he was talking to Galileans, Gentiles, he was talking to everyone, he was encompassing everyone and saying that in the kingdom of God, it's not just the religious elite who are welcome, not just the, the one group of people, the Jewish people, but it is everyone, you're then grafted into the kingdom through my sacrifice. The sacrifice that the, the, the Jewish lawmakers and the religious elite would make, Jesus said, What? Hold up. I'll make one sacrifice that surpasses all your sacrifices. And then I'll say, Actually, now forgiveness and compassion, mercy. Yeah. That is better. That is the better way. Because we're talking about a better way here. We're not talking about, we're not just talking about. Our way, we're talking about a way that is better than the old kingdom. So the Roman Empire, like I was saying, was not known to be an empire of mercy, but of an iron hand. And the Jewish laws, 613 of them that were created between the 400 years of the Old Testament and New Testament, the 400 years of silence, they call it, were not merciful, but judgmental, hence the need for constant sacrifice. So what Jesus is making is a clear distinction between the current kingdom and the kingdom of God. So he, Jesus consistently exhibited and committed mercy. The thing was, and this is something we have to understand, Jesus was not actually merciful to the unmerciful. Sounds harsh, but he said, you vipers. He, he confronted them, he flipped tables in their presence. To the religious elite. Those who did not show mercy, Jesus did not show mercy to. He then showed mercy to everyone on the cross, but he was exhibiting and showing a way that in the kingdom of God that anyone he claims to be of God's family must be inherently merciful, forgiving and compassionate to others. And the funny thing about Um, this one. If you hold uh, beatitude number four, which is about righteousness, and this beatitude number five, together we actually get an echo of a verse called in Micah 6, 8. And Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and does the Lord require of you to act justly, which is righteousness, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Righteousness, like we talked about last week, is about a righteousness between you and God, a right relationship between you and God, and right relationship between you and others. So you've got the vertical and the horizontal. So righteousness, justice, righteousness, just justice within relationships amongst you, between you and God and you and others, and mercy, so justice and mercy when put together Show us what God has said is what the Lord requires of us. But Jesus is also exhorting because he, the reason he preached number four and number five back to back is because he's asking us to carry attention of justice and mercy because our, without justice, mercy just becomes nice. But the passion for justice might be tempered by a deep commitment to mercy or we end up, a passion for justice must be tempered by a deep commitment to to mercy or we end up justifying viciousness Mm. in the name of justice Mm. have you ever had a moment where you've you've thought oh that person treated that person poorly i'd punch them Mm. or that person attacked that person or they attacked that person i'd attack them back you know it's we've all thought that and sometimes i would say yeah that's okay like but Jesus got his. They came to attack him in the in the garden, and Peter chopped off the servant's ear. And Jesus says, "No," he heals it here. He says, "It's not through violence, it's not through viciousness that people will understand the kingdom or the gospel. It's through mercy, forgiveness, and compassion." And that that, that, that verse that, that turned the other cheek was actually Jesus was actually. Looking at a Jewish idiom, they say just turn one cheek, and that's as far as it went. Jesus takes it further and says, Turn the other cheek. He's taking it further and he's saying, This understanding that we have is that there's a limit to my mercy because justice is so important. But if we don't have the tension of justice and mercy, we're just going to be too kind and nothing's going to actually change. But if we uh, so focused on justice without mercy, we start saying, well, that terrorist deserved it or that person deserved it. And I know that might be something you wrestle with and we talk about the judgment of God, but who are you to judge someone else? Who are you to judge someone who God created? Yes, that person may be lost. That person might make a bad decision. And there are people who have made poor decisions, but who am I to condemn their soul? Justice and mercy cannot live without each other because we have to act justly and love mercy. And like I wanted to show you this next slide, we've got the Greek, the message and the Aramaic. These are the different understandings of the Beatitudes which she actually unpack them, the way that they've been um, transliterated or extrapolated by, by um, scholars. The message by Eugene, Peterson says, You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, full of care, you find yourselves cared for. Mm-hmm. Happy are those moved to help someone in need. They'll experience, be shown the comfort they grieve. The thing is, the Eugene Peterson and the Greek, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. And Aramaic has Hebrew roots. Blessedly ripe. And it's a bit it sounds weird. Mm-hmm. Blessedly ripe are those who radiated from a new self within. That shall be shown a waking vision, the womb of the one surrounding them with compassion. Aligned with the one, are the compassionate. Upon them shall be compassion. Healthier are those who extend grace, they shall find their own prayers answered. Who are those who extend a long, heartfelt breath. Wherever needed, they shall feel the heat of cosmic ardor. Yeah, look at those, wrestle with them, but it, let, it, let it expand your understanding of what God is actually trying to say to us here. Because we understand the Beatitudes through an English understanding, a 21st century understanding. But this was very specific to their time. All right, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I really enjoyed studying this one. The Greek word for pure in Matthew in Greek is katharos. Clean, blameless, unstained from guilt. Interestingly, the word people prefer specifically that which is purified by fire or by pruning. Fire and pruning are very, very abrasive words, which is what we in the Greco-Roman Stoic understanding have embraced, that just do it, get over it. You need to get better, just chop it off. Those sorts of understanding. And yes, there is an element to that where this is important. Don't just throw it out, actually hold on to it. Because John the Baptist told that Jesus that they would baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. It doesn't actually represent anointing. It represents cleanness, purity. The fire in Pentecost did not represent anointing. It represented purity and cleanness. Malachi speaks of the Messiah as being a as fire. And we talk about this. I remember hearing a comedian, a Christian comedian, saying it, It's like God. I just want your fire, like your holy fire. Ah! You know, like like like, you're starting to burn me up, God. It's like this language that we have talks is very Calvinistic in the sense that it says, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person. Burn everything away from me. Whereas Jesus died on the cross and said to the thief on his left, says that you will be with me in paradise today. You have done nothing to earn it. All you've done is turn to me and say, remember me. Mm. He says, you are welcome with me in paradise. That tells you something about the grace of God that we over centuries have started to whittle away and said, it's more about what I do than what Jesus did. Mm. What Jesus is showing is the kingdom of God is more, is more about what Jesus does, how the Holy Spirit empowers us to live as opposed to who I am, my brokenness. Jesus refers to believers as the branches to himself as being the vine as well. Like I was saying, unless we abide in the Holy Spirit, in the vine, we can do nothing apart from God. And that's something over the course of my life I didn't think would be that much of a reality. The past two years have been crazy. I'm realizing I can't do anything apart from God. I can't listen to a sermon from someone apart from God, because otherwise I'll start being like, I've got to preach that better. <laughs> I can't listen to someone being like, actually, I disagree with that. And I start judging the person, as opposed to going away and wrestling with it. Mm-hmm. With the Holy Spirit inside of me, there's a purity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Greek often describes attitudes, of, attributes of someone's state, they are good, therefore they are pure. What we have to remember is that Jesus was coming to announce the new kingdom, the way the values the culture, so therefore, it goes deeper than if you are good, you will see God. This is the mentality we have to shake. The mentality we have to shake is that because I'm a good Christian, therefore, because I'm good in life, I treat people well, I'm a good Christian. The only one who is good is God, and we Jesus is the image of God, therefore, because of Jesus, we're clothed in robes of righteousness which is not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of God. Therefore, God calls us good. Mm -hmm. It's less about us, more about God, and more about God working through us to change us, transform us into his likeness. But I want you to listen to this part. This is, I found this really fun. The Hebrew word for to purify is letah. And like I was saying, Aramaic has a similar root. The word connotes a breath of fresh air, clarity and relief. And there's a variation of the word of pure itself. Yeah. The root is related to other roots having to do with brightness and clarity, meaning shining. Yeah. So Jesus is not just saying avoid sin and do better. But there's this idea that to un- when we unpack purity, that it's not an us thing, but a God thing. Yeah. Because air, clarity and relief have to do with something called ruach, which is the spirit, the breath, the wind of God. And the brightness and the clarity, which is Zohar, is the light of ruach. Like when you turn a light on, you see. It. There's a brightness, a clarity, a relief. Have you ever walked around in the dark and been like, "Ah, oh, where's my phone? Or and you stub your toe or you fall over and, you, and you're walking around like this. <laughs> you look so stupid. And then the light turns on and you're like... You have a new sense of clarity, relief. Purity, purity is what Jesus does for us. Because yeah. the polluting sin of covetousness, oppression, lust, and deception have a blinding effect on a person. Mm. But the pure of heart have brightness and clarity like the breath of air bringing relief. So you just know hold darkness to light. I They will see God because the lights of Ruach has come in and brought breath, mm. clarity, relief, understanding. And I walk in and I'm like, all of a sudden, I see God. Mm. It's not that, if I, I need to get purer. I need to get purer. I need to get purer. You are pure because of the cross. Mm. Yes, there are things in your life that you have to walk out. We walk out our salvation, those addictions, those sin things in our life that we need to stop. Maybe it's fear. Maybe we need, there are things that we do In our own hands, we can be like, actually, I need to lay this down at the cross. But there's an overwhelming light that comes in through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the peace, sorry, the purity of God that allows us to see him is about what Jesus did. As opposed to us, do better, do better, do better. See God and you will do better. See God and you will be better. Yeah. See Christ and walk in his footsteps and you will be better. Yeah. The Greek may tell us what, but the Hebrew and the Aramaic tell us how. Mm-hmm. Through Christ alone, where the Lord of Christ sacrificed, Christ became the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You will see God because of Christ, through whom we have the light of Ruach, the birth of fresh air, bringing clarity and relief shining a light on the truth and the reality of a life with God in Christ. Oh, I could stop there, to be honest. Oh, actually makes me quite emotional. Fortunate, the Greek, fortunate are those whose innermost passions and desires are free from anything that is false. God will appear to them. The message, you're blessed when you get, outside, get your inside world, your mind and heart put right, and you, see, you can see God outside in the world. How cool is that? When God's on the inside, you see God on the outside. Heal are those who have the courage and the audacity to feel abundant inside. They shall envision the furthest extent of life. Well, so that's the Aramaic. The next slide please, Carl. So, if you look at these, these different ones, I'll leave that one up a little bit longer. But if you read these different ones, the Aramaic, which Jesus preached in, gives a different understanding of these Beatitudes. The Greco-Roman Stoic understanding, like I was saying, understand, uh, of, of language and whatnot, the Beatitudes is very much logic, pragmatism, get on with it. Mm. Why grieve? There's no point. They're gone anyway. You know, that's the kind of, whereas Jesus is always about your heart. There's never a point in time where Jesus was not talking about your your inner life, your heart. Mm. Blessed... I hope you're learning something here today, because there's really doing a number in me. Mm. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Mm. And just in this context, sons means family. Like in the modern context, they shall be called the family of God. Most frequently, however, we, we tend to think of peacemakers in terms of pacifism. Mm. Therefore, a peacemaker is someone who walks away from a quarrel or a fight, or who closes their mouth rather than opening it? If you know me, I tend to err towards pacifism anyway. I hate bullies. Well, I don't hate bullies. I'm trying to show mercy to bullies. Yeah, you know, like, I don't like aggression, power, overpowering. I don't. I don't like that. But I have the luxury of the country that I live in. But pacifism is something that I can. Could be an ideology of my own, but in the Old Testament, the word for peace (Hebrew word, and like I said, the Aramaic has similar roots) is shalom, and the basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. So, shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of, compl- of, of wholeness. Mm. Yeah. And shalom in the Hebrew Bible is like Job who says his tenth owner, a state of shalom, because he counted his flock and no animals were missing. Mm. And, but this can also be why shalom can refer to a person's well being. Like when D- David visited his brothers on the battlefield and said, How's your shalom? How is your shalom? The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of this is out of alignment, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, the basic meaning of shalom is a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make, complete, or restore. So Solomon brings Shalom to the unfinished temple. Or if an animal in the Old Testament accidentally damaged the neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore its wholeness. Mm-hmm. The same goes for human relationships. Mm-hmm. You, and maybe your dog dug a hole next door. You would going and pay for the, the hole, you were going for that restoration. But let's, when we talk about in our human relationship, in the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. Mm-hmm. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it means they start working together. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. That's an arrow in the heart, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm just going to stop fighting you. I'm actually going to work with you. Together. Heck no. <laughs> that is so ridiculously hard. Yeah. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> Why did Jesus do it? Mm-hmm. The state of shalom is what God, Jesus said to his the Israelites, the, his chosen people, bring shalom, bring shalom, bring shalom. But it rarely happened. So when Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of Shalom, and his reign would bring Shalom with no end, The time when God would make covenant of Shalom with his people, mm-hmm. and make all right, wrong, all right, all wrongs, and heal all that's been broken. Mm-hmm. So how do we understand this message that Jesus is preaching? Colossians 1.20 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Jesus laid down his life to make peace between God and sinners, and when we carry that message of peace to others, we are peacemakers. Mm -hmm. We carry the ministry of reconciliation to lead people to the cross where true peace is found, to walk with people in the pursuit of peace in relationships, and when you are a peacemaker, your scope is not just your relationships, it's the whole world. Yeah, that's good. I see something out of alignment with God's kingdom. I want to see peace. I want to bring peace. I want to bring, want to bring the ministry of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got a burning to go overseas or maybe you have a burning in your heart to reach out to someone who's hurt you just to say, I forgive you want to work together. It's so counter-cultural because the Roman Empire says, I will overthrow you and overpower you so I can impose my values and my distinctives upon you. Whereas the kingdom of God says that even though you may have hurt me, I will show mercy. Even though you may have thrown me to the wayside, I will walk with you. It is tough to do that. Because we've grown up in the culture of the worldly kingdom. Mm. But Christ in me, the hope of glory, can empower me to be a peacemaker, Mm. to forgive quicker, to anger slower, Mm. to speak mercy and compassion to others. Jesus is so good. Just have to fathom just how good Jesus actually is. Because yeah. he did all this. Mm-hmm. He embodied all of this. Mm-hmm. The Greek and rich are those who often celebrate peace, for they will be called students of God, like children, those who learn at his feet. I just want to be at God's feet. Yeah. I can't live without God. Mm-hmm. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Yeah. That's when you discover who you really are in your place in God's family. Mm-hmm. And the Aramaic, the one that's a little bit zany. Mm-hmm. Healthy are those who strike the note that unites. They shall be remembered as rays of the one of unity. Of of the one unity. Aligned with the one are those who prepare the ground for all tranquil gatherings. They shall become fountains of livingness. I like this one. Healed are those who bear the fruit of sympathy and safety for all. They shall hasten the coming of God's new creation. Mm. Do you bear the fruit of sympathy and safety mm. in your life? Can people approach you and feel safe? Yeah, you know, I, I want that to be the testimony of Megs in my life. That people can feel safe. So the Beatitudes paint us a picture of what is normal in the kingdom. So we are called and empowered by the Spirit to live the kingdom way. Come on, to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly, and pursue peace. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. You are so, so good to us. Lord, we just thank you that You're always doing something. Lord, we know that without you we can do nothing. So Lord, I pray that you continue to transform us from the inside out to be more like you, Jesus. That's a prayer you agree with. Just say amen. Amen. I love the Beatitudes. Isn't God good? Isn't Christ worthy to be praised? Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City Podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.